Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's an audio-only edition of the PHNX Suns podcast, and that's a good thing because nobody wants to see us on a holiday, uh, what we're wearing, what we're rocking, so we want audio-only. We're all comfortable today. I'm your host, Greg Esposito. you got Saul Bookman, Gerald Bourget with us, and we are brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's number one sportsbook app. Use that code PHNX when you're signing up, and you're going to get a special offer from them. Guys, uh, how are we today? Happy Memorial Day. Happy you know, Memorial it's, uh, Day. Listen, you know, those people who have sacrificed everything uh, for for the sake of our country, um, you know, they deserved all the recognition um, possible. So, uh, you know, my love goes out to them and um, and their families today. And, uh, yeah, let's talk some sons. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself. Absolutely. Let's I didn't want to put you James on the spot Jones. after no, that. No, no. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so we are wrapping up our look back on the season today is kind of the uh, the culmination of it. We're looking at the man that put it all together. One James Jones, the general manager. Look, this one, it's tough. You're not going to – there's no X's and O's. You can't look at him on the court and, and judge his performance. But I think where I want to start in terms of James Jones – is did he make a flaw in his roster construction trying to build this team with the sole purpose of beating a team like the Bucks? I feel like a lot of it was reactionary to how the finals ended without looking at the larger picture of other kind of teams you're gonna face. I don't I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I, th- I think that the roster construction as it was gave you flexibility. Uh, for for diff- many different styles, like if you if you had to play some bigs, like you had the bigs to go up against those kind of guys. Yes, if we had happened to match up against Giannis in the finals once again, it would have been a much better matchup for us this time around. But um, on paper, we in theory had the ability to to also flex and play uh, teams like the Mavericks or the Warriors. But you know, obviously in hindsight, we know that that didn't happen this year. But they have shown the propensity to be flexible both ways, and um, I, I mean, sure, there could have been a move made here or there. But I think when you when you got the pieces, when you got them, you know, that's what that's what we have to judge this on. Like when you got Landry Shamit, when you got him, you thought that he was going to be another ball handler, um, a good shooter. Um, the defense surprised you this year, which was a nice benefit, but the offense was lackluster. You know, you did you couldn't really prepare for that. Um, so. I think James Jones has done a, a fine job in his three seasons as the Suns GM, and um, 
yeah, I, I think the flexibility he provided was adequate enough. I think in hindsight, it's easier to say it was like overreactionary or something like that. But at the time, like coming off that finals loss, it was their biggest um, flaw as a team, I guess, or weakness. Um, they needed more size when Dario Saric went down. They got clobbered on the boards. They didn't. They weren't able to turn to Frank Kaminsky, or they didn't until it was too late, and he wasn't going to stem that tide anyway. Yes, um, he would have. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No Kaminsky slander. <laughs> but I, I think they went out and they added some nice pieces. JaVale McGee, uh, I think early in the season you could make that case that maybe they overreacted because they had like five centers on the roster when Kaminsky was still there, when Jalen uh, Smith was still there, and then you had JaVale, and then you brought in Bismack. But they had injuries. They were dealing with injuries a lot of the time, and I feel like at the trade deadline – they brought a little bit more balance, but I think that's where I probably take the most issue with what James Jones has done is, you know, Torrey Craig, we thought he would be the kind of midseason bump that he was last year, and he wasn't at all for the Suns. Aaron Holiday wound up not making much of an impact at all. I feel like he could have been more aggressive. I feel like he could have pursued Eric Gordon or someone like that and given up a first-round pick. Um and we could talk about why maybe he didn't do that, but like this team needed another ball handler. It needed more scoring. It needed a guy who could go out and get a bucket. And it didn't have that when Chris Paul broke down. So I think that again, all this is hindsight is 2020 because that's how most general managers are uh, observed, not based on the decisions they make with the knowledge that's in front of them. But I think even at the time we knew that this team maybe needed one more bench piece and they didn't get it. Well, also like we can't forget the fact that, if Chris Middleton doesn't go down, mm. the Bucks are very likely to be in the Eastern Conference Finals right, right now as we yeah. speak, and quite possibly could get back to the NBA Finals. So you would have, you would have structured this team perfectly to match up with the Bucks again. The only problem is, is you know, they you kind of shit the bed before you even got there. <laughs> but they yeah. weren't structured perfectly to go against a team like, uh, like Dallas, or I would argue. When Golden State turned to their to their lineup of death that they that they turned to, the irony to me is the guy that went down last year is Dario, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't replace him with anybody like Dario at all in those five centers you talk about. And that I think that to me was kind of the flaw that stood out there was you fortified the center position, but with a bunch of guys that were very similar in skill set and similar to what DA brought. So you didn't have any variety in what you could turn to. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I see that, that argument for sure. I think Kaminsky was kind of a lesser Sharich in that regard as a yeah. connector, a guy who can shoot a little bit, put the ball on the floor, make plays from the perimeter, that kind of stretch five that Sharich was. Um, but yeah, I, I did... I liked it better when they brought Craig back because I was like, okay, this is a small ball five, a guy who has shouldn't be there full time, but can log minutes there if necessary. And he was just kind of so bad that he didn't really get to fulfill that role again. And they never really had that option to go small against the Mavs like maybe they would have in last year's playoff run. So you're hearing right here first, breaking news from Suns reporter Gerald Borgay, <laughs> Frank Kaminsky getting injured is what cost the Suns a title. <laughs> oh, man. Thank I you, think Gerald. Sarge gets so much love for no reason. I really do. I really do. Like, I, he's a good, he's, listen, he's a good all-around player, right? But I don't think he's a difference maker. I never have. And I don't, I don't understand this thinking that, 
if we had Dario or if we were to replace him with somebody like him, that all of a sudden that that makes the difference against a team like the Mavericks. I will say this. If Dario's out there against the Mavericks, he's getting toasted too. Like he's not physically, he's not he's not an athletic specimen enough to go out and guard guys on the perimeter either. So I don't know where this this misconception comes it's from. It's flexibility. It's the ability to go up against the small ball. I don't know that that Dario is is the greatest example of it, but he filled that role through most of last year. Where if they faced that, they could switch to that style of play. You didn't have any option to even try to counteract it. This year, you had to go to Bismack, which wasn't isn't the guy that that has the kind of skill sets on the other end of the floor that that make it work. So I just I would have liked the option to well, go that but, way, but not my, on a regular basis. But if you needed that change, of but, pace. but my my point is, is like replacing Bismack or Javel with an equally slow uh, Dario Saric to me is like, okay, you're just making a lateral move there defensively. Offensively, I get it. I get the offensive side of things where the ball movement, um, even his low post play uh, you know, and perimeter shooting definitely adds a little bit there. But defensively, you're still getting torched. But it, I think the offense and the way it, sh- it shut down was was one of the bigger problems. I mean, the Suns could keep pace with most teams, but when the offense went into complete stall mode and you didn't have somebody else that could help facilitate the way Dario did at times or keep people honest from from deep, it it, it gunked up the works. Like but, it, it caused we a didn't, problem. We didn't mention Dario hardly at all during the regular and season. I think, well, but you didn't mention anything as a flaw in the regular season because they steamrolled people. But that's but that's my point. Is I feel like that's more of a of an internal uh, issue than it is. Oh, we should have. We should have. You know, Dario being available might have helped things out. I think. I feel like at this point we kind of reach. We're, we're grasping at straws. If we think Dario was the answer when we didn't think anything about Dario basically the entire regular season. I don't. I don't think he would have been the answer, but I do think he would have helped, especially offensively when things were in the mud. Um, and you didn't have, you know, you couldn't play JaVale because he'd get killed and drop coverage, so he wasn't giving you anything offensively. And Bismack, I love him. He's um, probably a more agile big than either of those two, but offensively he doesn't give you anything either. I, I think the biggest thing for me was not having that variety, whether it's Dario Saric, whether it's Frank Kaminsky, or whether it's somebody else, another small ball five that they could have gone to over Torrey Craig and then not having that additional ball handler like I was talking about, those are the things that I felt like wound up becoming roster flaws in the playoffs. But like Espo was saying, I do feel like we are kind of grasping at straws because this team was so good during the regular season that it didn't feel like they had a lot of flaws. It felt like, okay, maybe... like. We saw them play a small ball series against the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals last year, and yes, Kawhi was out, but like... DA felt fared really well in that series. He was great in that series. This year, not so much, and it was just kind of baffling because we didn't think much of this series. They had beaten them like seven or eight straight times, whatever it was. And they're up two zero. They were up two zero in the series. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, this is four or five games tops, and then it crumbled. And then it makes you take a step back and be like, okay, do we buy into like the eighty-two game season and the finals run last year, or do we? Or did this series did this series expose us, or are we overreacting to whatever the hell happened? Yeah, I think I think it's probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they got exposed for their weaknesses and what they were. I feel like internally they kind of fell apart 
um, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's this is where James Jones has to come in, right? L- listen, James Jones was a part of uh, a Miami Heat team who was supposed to win easily an NBA championship in LeBron's first year in Miami, and they didn't. And there was a lot of questions after that, like how good really are these guys? How, how much can they grow together and all this other stuff? James Jones has seen that process. And I'm not saying, obviously, we don't have a big three like they did, but um, he's seen the progress and he's seen, he sees the process of having to overcome adversity even when you have the best of talent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, in that regard, I do trust what he's going to try and do with this team. I think he's made some, some really good moves, um, in the in the past three years, he's also made some bad bad moves. Like, listen, we we might not even be having this discussion if we have Tyrese Halliburton or Desmond Bain on the roster right now, right? Mm-hmm. But we but we chose Jalen Smith, and what we ended up getting for Jalen Smith was just Tory Craig back, mm-hmm. and that didn't do shit for us, right? right. So, um, you know, it, it, it it's every GM is going to make mistakes. Every GM is going to you know for the most part, pick pick some things that they think are ideal for their system. But not every GM has the playing experience um, of of a James Jones. So I feel like he's he set himself up and structurally he has set himself up to take advantage of some things if he's very shrewd about the way he goes about his business this offseason. What bothered me, I think, was the trade deadline because you bring up James Jones' playing career and he's a guy that understands the value of the bench. Because that was where he was a majority of the time and understands the value of the bench to chemistry. And I was surprised he didn't do more to bolster it in at the deadline. And we even talked about it at the time. We thought the moves were nice, but there were other things that it felt like you might have been able to do mm-hmm. to really solidify it. Now, I wonder, to your point, Saul, was that because he was trying to preserve flexibility coming into this season? Uh, and didn't want to take on what would have been an exorbitant amount of salary Mm -hmm. in order to get the kind of guy that may have made an impact this year. Well, I will say this. um, I know people are upset that he didn't make a move with Eric Gordon because they think that would have been a difference to at least get you to the Western Conference Finals now, in hindsight. Um, At the time, though, you're sitting there like, okay, they feel confident and comfortable with where this team is at. Um, they, they're having a historically great season for their franchise. It's hard to sit there and blame him in the moment for what happened. Right. And if it works out to where by not making that move and sacrificing potential draft picks or exceptions and all this other stuff, uh, salary crap wise, if it works out that they get an even better player than, and then Eric Gordon, that was the right move. Like and listen, you and you got to put this all together, right? You had you had a, a thirty plus win season, and you then you went eight and zero in the bubble. You got to the NBA Finals a year ago because you made a shrewd move in getting Chris Paul, and then you get bounced in the second round of the playoffs. But you did have a historical or historically great regular season. I know it's not the ending that people want to see, but if you look at the big picture, that's a lot of success in about a two and a half year period. And you got to keep that success going. Sometimes you're going to hit walls, and as Suns fans, we know we've seen it before. We've yeah, seen we when the Suns get get bounced, you know, too early, or you know they have some type of heartbreak. But I do believe in James Jones's ability to try and right this ship, um, and I even think that's going to include Da. I feel like we judge general <clears throat> managers with a checkers mindset rather than a chess mindset. Mm-hmm. That it's 
oh, we're looking at one move, but really these GMs are looking five, six moves down the line like you have to uh, in chess. And I think that makes it, it makes it tough because, to your point, we can look at it through this lens in this one very small slice of time, but if there has been some larger plan in place for multiple years that gives them flexibility this offseason and they leverage it, then all of a sudden he looks like a genius again. Right. And, and to Saul's point, I, I do think that that's kind of similar to what we've been talking about with Monty as far as I think he trusted too much in what was going really well in the regular season because what other reason did you have to doubt this team? Like they were coming off a finals appearance. They have a young core that's blossoming. They have Chris Paul. They have all everything was going right for them. And it you didn't expect the deepest team in the NBA to completely fall off bench wise. You didn't expect guys to just completely take a step backward in this moment when they had been on this revenge tour, you know, like they were motivated, they were hungry, they're young, they're better than everybody else. I, I don't blame I think I I was kind of vocal about wanting him to make the Eric Gordon move just to put all the chips to the center of the table, but I could only blame him so much because he did bolster a very strong bench and there was no indication that what we saw in the second yeah. round or even the first round was going to happen. This team was hands-on title favorites, head and shoulders better than everybody else. And then they just completely stop playing like it. Well, look, that's the thing. As a general manager, especially at trade deadline time, it's a gamble. And you know what else is a gamble? What's oh, that? Yeah. DraftKings you know who else might be the title favorites right now? Who's that? Not the Suns. Uh. <laughs> the DraftKings Sportsbook <laughs> app, an official partner of the NBA, has a deal for you. Use that code PHNX when you sign up. $5 on any NBA team to win, uh, and you're going to win $150 in free bets if they do. Uh, don't worry, though, if you're already uh, a member, if you've used that PHNX code before, they got something for you, too. Same-game parlays are a great way to turn a small bet into a big payday uh, when you're betting on NBA games or any games, NFL, MLB, whatever, whatever cricket, whatever your uh, flavor <laughs> of gambling is, same-game parlays take care of things you know in basketball you're struggling you can, with that word aren't you parlay parlays 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 so just as an example right you can combine multiple bets like which team will win total three threes made total rebounds and more and boom yeah boom <laughs> you have a shot at an even bigger payday all customers can place the same game parlay right now with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to 25 dollars if one leg doesn't hit it's that simple again use that promo code phnx if you're signing up for the first time five dollars on any nba team to win if they win you're getting 150 dollars in free bets a reminder that's 21 and over arizona only gambling problem 1-800 next step new customers only minimum five dollar deposit Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Last thing on the James Jones front that I want to talk to you guys about. If you're sitting in James's seat right now and the offseason were, were a handful of weeks before the new league year, what are you doing to make this team remain at the top of the Western Conference? Well, I I, I would say this. I think everything is on the table right now. Like, and I don't mean that in a in a vindictive or evil way, or mm. or to try and shit on any players. But I think you are in a unique position right now to 
um, use leverage with maybe a Cam Johnson, for instance, or Jay Crowder, um, and a DA sign and trade or whatever package you want to put together to try and leverage getting a, a, a bigger piece of talent to come in here to help supplement some of your weaknesses that were clearly exposed in the playoffs. Like, I think backup point guard is nice, but honestly, if you can find somebody that can go side by side, uh, CP3 and Devin Booker, that'd be even better. You know, that's the one thing that we keep saying over and over again, and it keeps, it's a repetitive theme. And I don't know if, if that solution is within the team as as we sit right here, and that's a viable third option, a third score, somebody that can get their bucket basically anytime they need to. Um, Devin Booker can do that. Chris Paul can do that. Nobody else on this team can. They've seen you've seen flashes, but not consistently enough that you're going to need to really take the weight off of those other two, especially CP3. And listen, CP3 now for for the rest of his career now in my opinion, is now the third or fourth option. Like, he's good enough to be clutch, but he's not good enough to sustain you the entire game. He has to manage the game, and more importantly, he has to manage his load. So you have to get somebody in here that can help him do that. Yeah, I completely agree. I There's a very strong case to not overreact to bring everybody back, but you still need to tinker on the margins, even if you re-sign DA, which I think they should because you're not going to get a one-for-one replacement for what he does on either end in a sign-in trade. Um, And I wrote about this on Friday, um, put together some hypothetical sign-in trades that would mathematically make sense and would work from a team perspective. But you look at the returns and and not all, you know, most of them are a little underwhelming. There are a couple pie in the sky like Kevin Durant, Pascal Siakam, which there's no indication the Raptors want to trade him anyway. But, like, it's hard to put together sign-in trades. So... You could bring Cam Johnson back, extend. I mean, he's coming back anyway. Extend him, you know, uh, re-sign Da, and then make a move with you know like Sharich, Crowder, Landry Shamit, those type salaries, and Here's try a to bring platter in platter and a first round pick. Oh, what will you, you know, give you're, me? You're having to throw in. You're probably <laughs> having to throw in one or two first round picks if you want a significant piece, and that's okay. This team doesn't need first round picks in you know two three years from now. Maybe they need one in between so that they can get some type of rookie on a deal. But James Jones' strong suit has not been drafting anyway. So, like, he's been good at trades for the most part. But, like, you need to bring in another piece, whether that's Kevin Durant or LeBron James. I feel like those are still unlikely. But you do need to, and he does have the flexibility, if there is a disgruntled star, to make a move. Look, they. I agree with you guys. They need to put Devin Booker for the first time in his career with a, a scoring threat uh, out there. CP3 is is a, a small portion of time in a game scoring threat, right? We talked about it all year. Picked and choose. Usually was in the fourth. Like, you need a guy that if Devin's having an off night, quarters one through three, that guy can come in and, and help carry that. And I don't think Devin's ever had the opportunity to play with a guy like that to provide him uh, some. I, I don't have any specific names right now. I mean, you go pie in the sky, you go big, I mean, like you suggested. There's a lot of scuttle out there about a lot of different players right now, you know, from KD, even to today with Bradley Beal. Like, and I'm not saying any one, either one of those guys are going to be an option or anything like that. But uh, what I'm saying is, is like, when those opportunities do present themselves, the teams that are prepared to take advantage of those opportunities are the ones that you usually succeed. Um, you know, and, and that honestly, like look at 
look at the Warriors. You know what I mean? Like the Warriors have kind of been the epitome of that the last couple of years. They've taken advantage, and yeah, they've gone. They've taken a hit salary wise in terms of going massively into the luxury tax, especially with that Kelly Oubre. Especially with the team. Kelly Oubre one, but it ended up working out, and now they're right back in the finals, like they never fucking left, which is so sickening to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but the Suns want to want to be in that position. They want to be perennial contenders, and to do that, you have to take advantage of opportunities that are in front of you. Um, that you've structured by not overreacting at times. And I think that's what James Jones has done. And I agree. If, if it hadn't been for the shrewd moves and free agency and trades that James Jones had, had, has done, we'd be questioning, you know, listen, Steve Kime is almost the same fucking thing. Steve Kime, offseason, trades, always seems to br- bring in that one guy, D-Hop, you know, J.J. Watt, like whatever. But tra- uh, by draft day, he's been trash. Like, and I think J- you, the same thing can be said about James Jones right now is that, you know, it, outside of the draft, he's been really, really good. But in the draft itself, he's he's had some some glaring misses, and I think those have come back to kind of haunt the Suns to a degree of late. But that doesn't mean that they can't structure everything else around getting a superstar to where the draft picks are just they're not they're a nice little caveat, but they're not necessary. Look, landing that guy is important, but I think where uh, another key part is James Jones has to find quality value guys, right? Guys that bolster that bench, but at a low price because they haven't done it through the draft, so you have to find it in free agency. I would love to see them resign if a Lundberg to a to a guarantee at a, at a low number uh you know high ceiling you know low risk kind of signings like that to give you the chance to catch lightning in the bot in a bottle or or buy into the second high into the second round uh, buy a pick and take a flyer on a guy that that maybe can become your Jordan Poole. You're going to have to do things on the margins too this year to solidify things uh, that aren't necessarily big swings, but could be home runs just from the fact that you hit on something. Like P.J. Tucker back in the day was a throwaway guy. He was playing in Germany. They brought him in on a low contract. Nobody thought he was going to be shit, right? And that guy, uh, it was the one thing Lance Blanks ever did good in his tenure here was he he brought him in just because he was a texas guy and and you know but but that worked out you need to find some diamonds in the rough if you're james jones i i get what you're saying but again if you're going to go that route then you better accept the responsibility of of the outcomes because the same thing could be said about campaign and campaign was a diamond in the rough because maybe he was in the wrong system or he was stuck in china now and you're like well let's take a flyer on him and he came out and he balled in the in in the bubble, he was fantastic, and he had a great last season. And then it absolutely hit the hit the wall. Like, if you take a flyer on those types of dudes, then you have to be willing to to take that risk on the outcome. But what I will also say is that kind of, and I'm not trying to call you out, but I, I'm going to say that kind of contradicts the thought of you're either all in or you're all out. Like, I don't want to take a flyer on some guy that you hope is going to be good. Like, we need some dudes to come in here. If you're going to get that dude, you're going to have to do that because you're up against the salary cap. You're going to have to bring in vet minimum guys to help fill your bench role because you're going to have, 
a, a starting lineup that has so much freaking money, you're not going to have much left. And I think you made my argument with the campaign thing because he brought him in on a cheap deal. It wasn't until he signed him to the contract extension later on that Cam was problematic. But when, when he was playing on that prove-it deal, he came in and he balled out. I want to see you take a few flyers on guys like that on your bench because you're not going to have the money to go big game hunting on your bench if you're trying to land a big scorer that you, to go along with Book in the starting line. F.A. Lumberg is not that dude. I'm like, just saying. He's just not even close. At, at $2 million bucks or veteran minimum guaranteed deal, he comes in and plays, and maybe he is a guy like that. I, I want I want some flyers that you take, too, because you're going to have to do I it. want sure things right now because I think that's what this team needs. I don't want some guesses. I mean, you need sure things, but you're not going to fill 15 spots if five of them are like veteran minimums or exceptions with sure things. You just need eight? Yeah, but you still have to fill out the roster, so you might as well use those last three, two, oh, however many. Absolutely, spots on guys like, like if we're that. talking That's about the end I'm of the bench, about, yeah, yeah. Like right. I don't care about the guys on the end bench. I, I thought we were, this discussion was about like how do we win a championship. Well, I, I didn't you know win we were a just talking about championship with those kind of guys because at some point but in the season you're going to have to have guys you can dip into because of injury, because of whatever, because of rest that puts you in a position to still be. Good and maybe if you have a break glass in case of emergency situation in the playoffs, that you got somebody you're a little bit more confident in. They wound up being a six-man rotation, a seven-man rotation at best, because guys fell off the complete table and had nowhere to turn. Look, I, I think, I think that's one of the things that differentiates what you've seen the sustained run of dominance from the Warriors and what the Suns are trying to get to is a. You talked about not overreacting sticking with your culture, with your system, letting guys develop together. You know, Kevon Looney, for the first couple of years, it looked like he was going to be a draft bust, and now he's out here out-rebounding the Dallas Mavericks in the Western Conference Finals by himself. Like, that matters that they were able to keep him. Uh, Jordan Poole, their development system over there has been great, and I hate to contradict myself what I said earlier about, you know, draft picks not mattering as much, but the Warriors have hit on all all of their draft picks over the last few, like almost all of them, especially late round ones, the Suns are going to have to prove that they're able to do that because you need cheap contracts. You need guys that can produce on cheap contracts, whether that's guys, vets on a veteran minimum, guys on an exception, or rookies. And, you know, they didn't get that kind of production. The bench shriveled up in unexpected ways. But I do think that you do need to bolster that seven or eight man rotation because even when it chopped down to that amount, those guys that were in that rotation weren't good enough. Yeah, and you you have, need to get a backup point guard for Chris Paul. That might be my biggest area of concern because campaign just showed us that he's probably not it. Well, and you have zero draft picks this year as we stand right, right now. So to find that, you're going to have to buy in to, to that second round or find it in, in other ways, you know, mm -hmm. so if you're going out this summer and going out, we're going to be going to summer league, having some fun there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to the movies, whatever you're doing this summer, be safe. And one of the great ways to be safe is getting that COVID-19 vaccine. They're free for anyone five and older. Those 12 and older are also now eligible for a booster. Visit azhealth.gov for a location near you. That's azhealth.gov slash vaccine for a location near you. Look, we're not on video, so the ad read roulette doesn't really work, 
but I'm going to give you a special not on the wheel one for our friends over to OGs. I'm going to do this as a, uh, a prototypical television nerd. Uh, if you watch Conan O'Brien, he does a, a great impression of one of those from time to time. And you know what? Mm, nerd, stop by your local dispensary and grab some amazing Scratch Made THC gummies from our friends at OG's. Different flavors like uh, mm, blackberries and cream, watermelon. They're perfect uh, if you're in the mood for an uplifting sativa or a chill indica. Yeah, that's right. Mm, yes, it's uh, Favorite edibles of you know people around the world are these OGs, and if you're interested in trying the amazingly delicious variety of flavors that OGs Brands has to offer, go to OGsBrands.com. That's O-G-E-E-Z Brands.com to find OGs near you. Uh, Why was he so scared? <laughs> because he's a nerd. He's, he's scared. Oh, nerd. Were you not a nerd in school? You're too buff to have been a nerd. Saul was I mean, a jock. I, I was probably the closest to a nerd. There's a lot of fear when I you're was, a nerd. I mean, I was scrawny as hell in high school. I played basketball, but I was I was nerdy. Yeah, I, I was know. I was total nerd. So uh, I just I, stayed in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How you and I ever wound up friends is beyond me. I just stayed in the gym, <laughs> Yeah, that's it, man. I just, that's, I just played basketball all the time, man. That's so did I, lived. but I didn't play it well. I so. mean, we, we used to, like, I don't know, at Marcos Deniza, we used to play basketball, like, at lunch. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. and, you know, that was more of, like, a, a middle school thing. Yeah. Because in high school, you know, you're worried about the girlies right, and you didn't right. want to swell, you don't uh, smell around. Yeah. The second half but of the day. man, some of those games at lunch, man, it was like, nah, man, I'm not losing these games. You <laughs> know what I mean? I don't care if I drop 15 pounds on this concrete out here. It's hard <laughs> out here in these streets, man. Let's go. I, I had that experience. It was more middle school than I need a guy in the crotch. I was so pissed off uh, about a game. So, uh, Chris Miller, if you're listening, my apologies. <laughs> For that, awesome. uh, Chris Miller. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna wrap it up there. Uh, Lindsay Smith wasn't here with us today, but you can follow her at Lindsay Smith AZ. You can follow Saul at Saul underscore Bookman. The underscore is there for all the awards he won as a high school basketball player. You can follow at Gerald Borgay on Twitter. I don't know if he won any awards, but he's there doing award winning. He won now. a couple sunnies. I know that. Once, well, I've never won a sunny. So, and you can follow. <laughs> me at Espo for all the depressing uh, you know, takes that I have about the Suns basketball and me not winning awards. You can follow the show at PHNX underscore Suns. And a reminder, it's Memorial Day. Go have some damn fun. Ahoy, ahoy.